This podcast is sponsored by T&D PowerSkills, creating the standard in line worker training. So hello and welcome to today's session of Frontline Fundamentals. Today's topic, hazards do not discriminate, nor should we. Sounds like a very interesting topic and there's a couple of real key points that we want to make there about your ability to work safely. And I don't know that you've ever thought of discrimination in terms of hazard. And we'll, we'll be careful how we define the word discrimination today. But there is a real, real key point there about hazards that I really hope we'll start with it. We'll make sure we focus on it throughout the presentation and we'll end with it. Hazards do not care. They do not discriminate. They don't care how old, how young, anything, uh, any demographic that you wanted to talk about. They're not concerned with how much experience you have. And there's a a good lesson we can learn from that. And so two things we really want to talk about today is just that. Hazards don't discriminate. So we've got to use that in our ability to accurately identify and then control hazards. And then correlate that as well with teamwork. So there's, there's two things we want to do with that. The frontline fundamentals, of course, is a, a periodic series we do based on articles that are published in Incident Prevention Magazine. I encourage you, if you haven't already, via print and or online, incident-prevention.com. You can look up frontline fundamentals there. This article and all the other articles that are there uh, in this series, you can you can find. And so I hope you've had the opportunity to read it. If not, I hope that what you experience today will encourage you to do so. And I hope that you will continue to read those in the future, as well as the rest of IP Magazine. Fantastic magazine, uh, obviously very focused at the utility industry, but in my opinion, very beneficial for anyone that is in either a leadership and operations or a safety position, which is all of us in some form or fashion. And we probably oscillate between those roles. And so our driving statement, our objective for today that you will probably get tired of hearing is this, our ability to work safely depends on our ability to work together and also our ability to identify with full situational awareness and then hazards and then control them according to the hierarchy of controls, which is what we want to talk about. And a couple of questions that I want to pose to you, and I really, really want you to think about these. I think the answer is obvious. I hope that the answer is obvious, at least to each one of these questions, and I'll ask three. But really think about the implication of it. So first question, who gets cut worse if a rotating chainsaw strikes their unprotected leg? A highly experienced chainsaw operator? I mean, let's really make that highly experienced. Somebody that uses a chainsaw six hours a day and they've been doing that for the last 30 years. Highly experienced chainsaw chainsaw operator. Good quality experience, we could add to that. They know what they're doing, they're the subject matter expert. Or someone using a chainsaw for the first time. And the answer to that is obviously it doesn't matter what their level of experience is. 
if a rotating chainsaw hits anything, it's going to cut. Hopefully it's not a person, but then the implication of this becomes what happens when we are the person that uses the chainsaw six hours a day for the last 30 years? Do we still appreciate the hazards associated with that? Take the same level of care and precaution we did when we were that day one operator using it for the first time. Hazards do not discriminate. And I love this one for two reasons, the practical application for safety, but also as we introduce when we talk about teamwork and our ability to work safely depends on our ability to work together, us versus them kind of attitudes. And the question is this, who gets electrocuted first when touching an energized power line and a ground without rubber gloves? So take all the specific nature of that, but who would get electrocuted first? A union or a non-union line worker? Who would get electrocuted first? Someone from the union or someone from management? And that is a, a, a common, two of the common us versus them mentalities is management versus the workforce and or the union versus the non-union. There's obvious others, interdepartmentals, we'll talk about those. But what's the answer to that question? Who's gonna get electrocuted first? The answer obviously is either one is, is a good answer to that, both probably, um, if you understand anything about electrical theory, but really start to understand this concept, hazards do not discriminate. Who hits the ground first after a fall from the same elevation? A senior vice president or an entry-level apprentice? The answer to that is gravity does not care and it always works. Both will hit the ground. And I hope in thinking about these three questions that it really reinforced and we could go through all sorts of different demographics and experience and age and whatever else. Uh, hazards do not discriminate, period, end of story. So. I hope those three questions reinforce that our ability to work safely depends on our ability to work together and then to control and identify hazards. And let's take each one of those separately. And let's start with our ability to work together. And we'll start with the concept of teamwork. And team, anytime you hear the word team, I always try to write it as the capital T-E-A-M and then lowercase work if we're using teamwork or if it's just team, make it all capitals. But that way it represents this. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Team, together, everyone accomplishes more. And I really thought about a good framework for this. I think there's, there's if you're familiar with human performance and the DOE Human Performance Improvement Handbook, there's two volumes of that, volume one, volume two. Volume one covers a lot of the principles and performance modes and those sort of things. Really good information, I like it. Volume two covers the HP tools. And I wanna to talk about the, that those for a minute because volume two of that handbook categorizes HP tools. And HP tools, that's not, even if you don't know human performance, these are things you use. This is communication, these are pre-job briefings. These are checking and verification practices. These are observations, incident investigations. 
All those are examples of HP tools. So even if you're not familiar with human performance, these are things you do. The, the thing I always tell people is if you study human performance, it allows you to take those things to the next level. That's another topic that I, I don't wanna address right now. But I, I wanna mention at this point, our ability to work together in these HP tools. There's three categories. First, there's individual tools. The first of which, and my personal favorite is the self-check star, stop, think, act, review. Make sure that we're doing the right thing on the right component at the right time, those sort of things. I don't wanna cover these tools in detail right now. But the thing I want you to think about is what does it really take for you to be safe? And sometimes I'm the kind of person I can do research and get stuck on a, a topic like this. And I, I actually did give myself a headache thinking about this because on the one hand, I think it's almost a paradox. And this is something that I certainly want to cover and have some discussion about in future frontline fundamental section, uh, sessions. But I am responsible for my own safety. Absolutely true. And at the end of the day, safety is a personal decision that I make. But especially in the work environment and or even at home, there's, there's cultures that exist there. And there is a support structure or lack of a support structure. There's training, there's information that I need, there's tools and equipment that I need, there's protective equipment. And so I'm part of a system that keeps me safe. And where does my responsibility stop and either the companies or the manufacturer of equipment or PPE, what, what does it really take to keep me safe? And, and what I'm not talking about is legally who's to blame right? OSHA's got a general duty clause. Each employer is responsible for providing each employee a, a place free from, a workplace free from hazards, that sort of thing. There's also the second part of that that says the employee is responsible for work and safe, not very often used and well known, but there is. But I think it's really interesting to think about that because I do find a lot of times we almost hamper people's ability to work safe because we take such good care of. And that sounds really, really weird to say, but I think a good explanation of that is to think about some of the technology and please, if you're a manufacturer, don't think in any form or fashion that this is an insult or a criticism in any way, it's, a, it's very much a compliment. But let's think about vehicle operations, driving. I'm driving down the road. What if the vehicle, the car that I'm driving has the, the sensors in it that monitor when I'm getting too close and my following distance and these sort of things and actually engage the brakes for me, collision avoidance. And what if for whatever reason, I test that a few times and I really start to think, wow, when I'm driving this car, I literally can't get run into the back of somebody. I'm not gonna collide with anything else. The car will protect me. Does that influence how I drive? If I'm climbing a pole, and I'm using 100% fall protection or restriction, not to get technical on all that. And I really, it, the more I trust that device, which is a really good thing for my protection, does it start to influence and negatively in some ways impact how I am performing that task, in that case, climbing? And I hope not. But point being, we're part of a system. We've got a role in it. Equipment manufacturers have a role in it. Decidedly, the company has a role in it. But back to these, these HP tools. So there's the individual tools, there's the work team tools. That's the crew that you're a part of. That's your team, your department, your division, the, the, the folks that are within you 
geographically located within 25 feet of you most of the time. That's your team. And remember, together, everyone accomplishes more. So whether that formally in your mind is a crew or your department or, or your division or whatever it is, your team. So there's individual tools, there's tools for the work team, and then there's organizational tools. And you're probably part of multiple organizations. Obviously, the one we'll focus on is your employer. So you've got the employee, you've got the crew, and then you've got the organization. There's tools for each. And, and I argue in a lot of ways, certainly the employee, those tools are the most important, starting with that STAR tool, Stop, Think, Act, Review. But if we don't think about and incorporate some of those work team tools, like pre and post job briefings, I hope you're doing post job briefings. If you're not, uh, research them, think about them, decidedly worth it for sure. Effective communication. One could argue in some ways as an individual tool, but decidedly as a work team tool. We got to do that. And then there's got to be organizations that support us through observations, through audits, through the resources, the support we get, through incident analysis. And you think about HP Principle 5, right? Events can be avoided through the application of lessons learned from past events or errors. Sometimes that can be very difficult, especially if an individual wasn't involved in an incident, for them to learn any of those lessons and be able to apply them to prevent future recurrence, unless the organization and or another work team together does. So while safety is in many, many, many ways, very individual and up to you at the end of the day, I very much believe that. But it's equally true that your actions or inactions, there's errors of omission, errors of commission, can impact other people. And especially for some of the hazardous work that we all do, you think about uh, you, you're in a substation flipping some switches up and down and off and on, uh, and, and there may be some line workers out there uh, on some of those circuits, decidedly your safety or lack thereof will impact others. As we're driving, really think about that. It's up to me at the end of the day. If I'm in a vehicle, I can have all the training support in the world. There can be driver monitoring systems in there, all sorts of technology, collision avoidance, some of the things we taught. At the end of the day, it's up to me to operate that vehicle safely. Sadly, for the rest of the world, if I don't, and you're on that same road that I'm on or on the sidewalk, or you see the stories of, of folks that are sitting in their house or in a restaurant eating supper, whatever it may be, and a vehicle just plows through the wall, your safety or lack thereof impacts other people. So it really does take us working together. And sometimes I think that in the messaging we send, I am my brothers and sisters keeper. That's absolutely great. But I can't also just purely rely on my brother or my sister or my organization to take care of me. I've got to do it myself. Equally though, again, if I'm trying to do it by myself at work, that's going to be an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. So these things can't be siloed. It's not chapter one, individual tools, chapter two, work team tools, and chapter three, uh, organizational tools one after the other. It's all three of them together and really understand the role that you play as part of that system and how much you need a team to stay safe 
and how much your team needs you to stay safe. And then so think about when we think about us and them. And I, I love if you if you write the letters down right now on a sheet of paper, us and them. Note that if you rearrange those a little bit, you could make the sum. And I just, I love that, the way that works out, because a sum comes from combining separate parts into a whole. And in terms of safety, that is us as separate individuals working as part of the whole, the safety and health management system to keep ourselves and each other safe. And it takes all of that. And so let's think about, I mentioned a few, be it probably the most common that, that comes together is the frontline workforce, folks doing the work, and then the management, the organization, or there's the, the corporate office, the ivory tower, if you will, and then all the folks in the field or people from different departments. Think about all the us versus them that they are. And, and sometimes, I'll acknowledge this, sometimes they can be valid, sometimes they're not. Sometimes, one of the things that I really has been insightful to me as I've studied a concept called emotional intelligence is how often, especially with low emotional intelligence, we tend to compete with other people for absolutely no reason. People that are, and, and think about how often you do that, and I hope you don't, but how often do we just create, I'm not saying competition is a bad thing, it can be healthy, but how often do we create unhealthy competition at work? And certainly we probably do it in our personal lives as well, but we're focused on work and our safety there right now. How often do we create us versus them mentality for absolutely no reason? And then if you're, anytime you're experiencing any of those us versus them mentalities, I want you to really think about where it comes from. And in any culture, you see the word culture, it's such a big word. There's, at least two components of it. For sure, there's a lot more. But just in terms of what creates culture, there's a legacy culture, things the way that the organization was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And then there's the culture that exists now. Somewhere in the middle of all that is the perceived actual culture of what it is. So I heard somebody in a presentation say one time, and we'll, this is one of our closing thoughts, but I want to say it now. Make sure that we're standing more shoulder to shoulder than nose to nose. And that's something to think about because the us versus them mentalities can be huge in terms of our ability to work together, obviously. And we just established that if we don't work together, we minimize our ability to work the safest we possibly can. And then that word culture again, such a big word. Culture, uh, a lot of different definitions of the word culture. Uh, a couple that I like, somebody told me yesterday, and, and it's probably the simplest definition of culture is, it's just literally the way we do things. Now there's a lot that goes into that. I like to personally, for me, I like to define culture as what drives behavior, why I do what I do. Uh, while I'm at work, while I'm, here's culture, here's the impact of culture, right? So go back to driving. Apparently that's going to be what we get stuck on all day. If you're driving in your personal vehicle at seven o'clock at night, in other words, you're not at work, you're not clocked in and you're in your personal vehicle 
and you're on a road and the speed limit on that road is 55 miles an hour, how fast do you drive? Think about the answer to that question. Now, same question. You're on the exact same road with the exact same speed limit, 55 miles an hour. But now let's just say for argument's sake, it's 1030 in the morning and you're in your company vehicle. Does your speed change? I imagine for a lot of us, it probably does, especially if you're at a company that values safety, values safe driving, uh, maybe has even some driver monitoring, hopefully that's managed in a very good way to promote it and not in a negative way to force compliance, but regardless. Did, did you think of two different numbers there as far as how fast you drive? It's a, it's a very good example of culture is what drives behavior. And in a more formal kind of way, culture is the based on our combination of beliefs, experience, values, norms, those sort of things that drive our behavior. And obviously, each individual in an organization contributes to culture. Each individual on a team contributes to culture. Each team in an organization contributes to culture. And we talked about both the legacy and the now culture combining into the perceived culture. So culture is a big thing. And part of that is work together. I hope that everybody, and that, that is one of the things that really encourages me, especially in the utility and construction industries, are how the positive changes you see in culture and almost every organization. Now it's challenging in a lot of ways, especially for more experienced workers. And, and I'll share a story with, with you that I think may provide some insight on this is I was in a frontline class uh, out West a couple of years ago. And it was almost, it was almost like one of those, uh, like your junior high dance, only it wasn't all the males on one side of the room and the females on one side of the room. It was on one side of the room, you had your, let's just call them more experienced workers. Most of those folks had been at the company more than 15 years. And on the other side of the room, sitting here at a couple of tables was less experienced workers. Almost all of them had less than five years of uh, experience. And we're talking about incident investigations. And it was just, it was, I, I've never seen a better example of legacy culture than this, but there were a couple of the guys on the right-hand side of the room, the more experienced, that were just talking about how awful the organization was in incident investigations. And it was basically, if you got hurt, they put you in front of a firing squad of about 10 or 15 people, uh, just started blaming you for what happened, uh, didn't really even ask questions, just more made statements about what you did wrong issue discipline, punish the person, fired them a lot, whatever. And they're going through that. And I'm like, okay, fine. And you, you, nobody said anything out loud, but the, the left-hand side of the room, you can see kind of some puzzled faces. And, and I, I, I kind of wish that I would have had enough insight to ask this question, but there was a general foreman in the room and he was sitting on the right side of the room and he had like 30 years of experience. And he just looked over at the left-hand side of the room and said, is, is that what you've experienced here? He said, I, I've been a part of that. I, I had an incident and, and that's exactly what happened to me, but I'm just curious. And it was interesting. There were like three of them that said, no, not at all. That is not the way we do things. And that is not the way this organization conducts incident investigations. Now it, it couldn't be more the opposite of how comfortable I felt, how they were, it was much more a fact than a fault finding uh, scenario. And so, I think it was a real benefit to both groups 
to kind of see where, and it makes sense, right? If you, if the last incident investigation you had been part of was 15 years ago, that's the way you know the company does. If you had been part of one last week and it was completely different, that's the way you know it. And it would seem crazy that they used to do it the way they did and are. So some of this is, It really, and, and and it's a great question. How can you instill a positive culture when you're always told this is the way we have always done it? Now, I was, I had a conversation with somebody literally about 45 minutes ago. And we were talking about, I, I, I read a magazine article. I don't even know what magazine it was from, an online newsfeed kind of thing this morning. And one of the things it said was one of the worst things anybody in a leadership position can do is just try to always maintain the status quo. And some of you may have heard, if you've ever been in some of my classes, anytime I hear somebody say, well, that's the way we've always done it. I ask them to go back to some of the electrician's manuals from like the 1950s. And uh, it literally teaches you that if you wanna check for voltage, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. One, you test with your tongue or two, you test with your fingers. And it actually has a statement in there that says, some men can tolerate the shock and the pain better than others. So this won't work for everybody in some form or fashion, but it, it just always, I mean, that's a, at least the way, anytime I hear somebody say that the way we've always done it. Now that's not to imply the way you always have done it is wrong or bad, but back to human performance. One of those tools is a questioning attitude. And if anything you're doing, it's based on the fact, well, that's the way we've always done it. So therefore it must be the right way. In terms of safety, that tends to reinforce itself because incidents indeed are rare, even if we're doing things the wrong way. So that that's the ball tire kind of effect where it's, I've got 60,000 miles on this set of tires and I've never had a problem with them. Therefore they must be good tires. That's a, what we define in human performance world as a, a ball tire kind of attitude. So one of the things is being open to new ideas and seeking feedback and providing feedback. Culture in a lot of ways, I, I've heard people say before, and I, I don't know that I necessarily used to believe it, but the more I experience it, the more I think it's true. They talk a lot about everybody using the same words and terminology and how that starts to establish culture. These days, so many safety and training managers are at a loss about how to approach line worker training for their apprentices and journeymen. Things are changing fast, and you need a solution that has the flexibility to keep up. TND Power Skills is that solution. With 78 in depth video based training units, all designed with the adult learner in mind, TND Power Skills has created a comprehensive line worker and training solution. This training ensures that line workers will absorb the info they need through engaging video detailed workbooks, quizzes, final exams, and our custom essential field performance requirements checklists. Whether your goal is to build an 8,000-hour apprenticeship program, or if you just need refresher training and continuing education, TND Power Skills is the one-stop shop for your line worker training needs. To learn more, find us online at tdpowerskills.com. Again, that's tdpowerskills.com. Be sure to use the referral code PODCAST2022 to get an exclusive podcast listener 5% discount. And however you feel about that, what I know for sure is the more you communicate, and anytime we talk about communication, think about effective communication resulting in mutual understanding, the more that starts to build culture. 
And then anytime we talk about culture, I always like to reinforce, Stephen Covey said it better than any of us can, is the circle of influence and circle of concern. Start with yourself. He said in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? If I want to start, if I want to make a change, and I don't know the exact quote, I got to start with the one thing I can control, and that's myself. So if you want to change a culture, it starts with you and then your team. The problem is a lot of people skip that step and they want to change the organizational culture, which is very difficult for one individual to do. It really has to happen at the individual and the team level. And then we get consistency. And then some of those teams, back to those us versus them mentality, we rearrange that us and them and go to the sum and we'll equal a very positive culture. But culture, culture is a, it's a huge thing. It takes time, but it's worth the time and the effort that it takes because it's what drives behavior. So that's the first part of this is our ability to work safely depends on our ability to work together, creating the right kind of culture, aligning your team, having common mission, vision, goals, values, making teams empowered, self-sustaining, self-policing, a lot of those sort of things work together, teamwork. Together, everyone accomplishes more. And then we said there's a second part of this. Our ability to work safely depends on our ability to work together to identify. Let's take identify and control hazards and break those up. First, we got to identify hazards. And when we teach hazard recognition, one of the things we talk about is people tend to be really, really good at identifying physical hazards. By that, I mean, uh, we're 30 feet up in the air, we can fall. Gravity's gonna work, that's a hazard. We need fall protection. We're working on an energized power line, we could get electrocuted, that's a, that's a hazard. We need rubber gloves, we need grounding, we need to work one phase at a time, we need all those work methods, uh, qualified observers, all those things that go into that. We're working in an excavation, it could cave in, we need a trench box. I think we're pretty good at those sort of things. Now, we'll talk about in a minute, the concept of normalization of deviation for your more experienced workers and, and subject matter experts for a task. But in hazard recognition, I don't know that we really do a good job and I'm not insulting myself or you when I say this, ourselves is a hazard. And there's two ways we can be a hazard. Number one, in terms of perception. And then secondly, as we think about how to control hazards in terms of behavior. And so, in order to work safely, we have to be able with full situational awareness to identify hazards. Back to work together, the number one thing about that is do it as a group. That's where your pre-job briefings, think about one person trying to do a pre-job briefing and identify all the hazards and control them versus a group of five or six folks having a good conversation about those same hazards. How many more are they gonna identify and how much better probably is their control gonna be because it's a group together, everyone accomplishes more. Perception, how we perceive hazards. And so this is where we introduce the concept of, it's got different names. Some people call it safety drift. Some people call it normalization of deviation. Some people call it condition, risk, acceptance, tolerance. That's probably the one I'll focus on today. Not because it's the one I like best, but I think those words really make the most sense. Conditioned over time. The more, this is that first question we ask. If I'm that chainsaw operator six hours a day for 30 years, I've got a lot of experience. My question is over the last 30 years, 
has the hazard associated with a chainsaw really changed? I mean, we could argue they've added safety features and some other things like that, but at the end of the day, that chain spinning around and the hazard associated with it and what's gonna happen if it, if, if it contacts any part of my body hasn't changed. What changes over the course of 30 years conditioned is how I perceive that hazard. So now start thinking about maybe what happens if that 30 year person works with that new person on the first day to identify and talk about that hazard. And maybe together they can truly appreciate proper work methods. And then ultimately the last line of defense being PPE, but chaps and, and, and things of those nature is a great way of saying it is yes. The problem, the person becomes more comfortable and they let their guard down. We get used to that hazard. We, we have now, as we said, with the bald tire effect, we've used that chainsaw. We've never been cut. So, you know, the chainsaw is not going to cut us kind of thing. And sooner or later, we drift, another name for it, so far away from what the expectation or the best practice is. And then an incident happens. And so accurate with full situational awareness, hazard identification is part of it. If you think about safety, and it really, I mean, there's a lot that goes into safety. But at the end of the day, if you can identify and you can control a hazard, you can work safe. There's obviously training that needs to happen to be able to identify it. We need to understand condition risk acceptance. What level of risk are we willing to accept? And notice people, a lot of times when you ask that question, will say zero. At work, we got to get it down to zero risk. One of the things you do have to understand, uh, tolerance is a good word there because there is no such thing as zero risk. You think about for any task right now. I mean, we could literally, and it sounds funny, I know of incidents where it has happened. We could get hurt participating in a virtual training session. We can get hurt getting out of bed in the morning. We could get hurt brushing our teeth. We could decidedly get hurt and hurt other people doing a lot of the things that we do at work. But you can, in some four instances, create a zero risk state. And what I mean by that is, we'll go back to the vehicle operations again. I can create a zero risk, never drive myself and never be on the road. So if I actually want to get from point A to point B and I can't walk or ride a bicycle or whatever it may be, there is a level of risk that I accept by getting behind the wheel or in the vehicle with another driver. And I think that's extraordinarily important to understand. There's no such thing as zero risk, but how can we reduce our risk in terms of probability, consequence, and exposure? That's where the art of really risk identification and having a risk matrix comes into play is truly understanding with full situational awareness again, what the risks are. Only after we have accurately identified hazards, then we'll repeat the statement and stress another part of it. Our ability to work safely depends on our ability to work together to identify, we talked about all that, and control hazards. So we said hazard identification, the, the physical, the invisible, the environmental, all those kind of chemical, gravitational, elastic, all those hazards, there's, there's many categor categories of them. But we said perception, 
in terms of how we perceive hazards. Now let's talk about behavior. Either our actions, errors of omission, commission, I mentioned earlier, things we do, things we don't do. And or I'll highlight the hierarchy of controls because one of the number one behaviors that impacts in a very negative way our ability to work safely is over-reliance on PPE. And I really challenge you to go listen to job briefings and conversations that people have. And it is literally, hey, I'm getting ready to use this knife. I've got a cut resistant glove, let's go to work. I'm getting ready to use this chainsaw. I've got on chaps, let's go to work. I'm getting ready to work this energized circuit or equipment, whatever it may be. I've got my rubber gloves on, let's go to work. There's somebody working up there above my head. Something could fall, gravity always works. I've got a hard hat on, perfect, let's go to work. Uh, we're still operating a chainsaw and uh, you know they're over there, the wind's blowing this way, but I've got my safety glasses on. So I'm protected, let's go to work. That is not to knock PPE in any form or fashion, but it is at the bottom of that hierarchy for a very good reason last line of defense, always use it, but never need it. And but because think about if you need your PPE, the, the best example I can think of, and I will applaud the manufacturers decidedly here is an art flash, FR clothing. What does it mean if you need your FR clothing? I really want you to think about that question. What does it mean if you actually need your FR clothing? What it means is you are no longer exposed to a potential hazard. If you actually need that FR shirt, it means that there is an art flash that you're in the middle of and you hope that shirt works. Now that's all the reason in the world I hope you need to have that FR shirt on, but I hope you can appreciate the fact if we can stop that art from happening in the first place and never need that FR shirt, that's a whole lot better than let's just put it on and go to work. And so this process, of understanding starting with elimination, engineering, substitution, reduction is a real important word, both in terms of hazards and risk. How can we reduce them? Safety devices, administrative controls, warning devices, PPE, all these in combination is what it takes to work safe. And in order to do that, I think in a lot of cases, we really need a team to be able to work together during the hazard identification and control process and there be somebody that says, hey, let's not settle for these cut resistant gloves today. Let's figure out a way where we actually don't quote unquote need them. Now I stress when I say need them, always use it, but never need it. And I hope you understand the difference between using PPE and needing PPE. So a, a couple of points that I think this brings out, this whole concept that our ability to work safely depends on our ability to work together and then to identify and control hazards. Back to human performance. The third principle, I believe, of human performance says this, individual behavior is influenced by organizational processes and values. We gave that example with the driving, your personal versus your company vehicle, if, if you are a person that has both of them. And how we have a different level of risk tolerance, just literally based on the fact that this is now a company vehicle. Hazards do not discriminate, I can promise you for sure, another driver on the road has no clue whether that's your personal or your company vehicle, I guess with the exception if you got a logo on it somewhere, but really think about that. 
it's not like you're safer automatically because you're at work or at home. It's not like you're safer automatically because you're on the road at work versus the road at home. Um, and sometimes I think people really miss out on that in terms of safety. The example that you set matters, decided, right? People are equal, but they're never the same. Thinking about culture, thinking about our ability to work together. And then this one, diversity is a good thing. And it is somewhat humorous to me. Not somewhat, it is downright funny to me. Uh, and we always, the, the rule is you have to keep the answers clean. But you think about, especially for those of you that may work in the field, the person that you just hired yesterday with absolutely zero experience, who if we ask your HR manager what their job title was, the HR person would say, apprentice level one, uh, a groundman, uh, a power line technician, trainee, you know, there'd be some term for it, whatever. What do we actually call them? And in some of those names, we actually call them and, and there's nothing wrong with having fun at work. But do we value them or do we look at it, look at them as a hindrance? And in terms of culture and this whole working together, how many of you have ever been told or have told someone else Hey, you don't have a clue what you're doing right now. So you just go stand over there and let us work and don't get hurt. Now, I mean, there may be a time and a place for that, but the new person has value. The experienced person has value. Everybody on the team and every task on the team is important and has value. Diversity truly is a good thing. Different opinions, different ways of doing things. Back to that whole we were talking earlier, how do you create a positive culture? We welcome new ideas. We encourage a diversity of thought and we promote those things. That's not to say every idea anybody has is a good idea and we're gonna implement all of it, but it is to say the more we can involve people and appreciate differences, understand the strengths and weaknesses of each individual on your team and the team as a whole, figure out a way to make the strength stronger and then figure out a way where hopefully you can overcome sort of my shortcomings and maybe I can do the same for you and then teamwork together. Everyone accomplishes more. Acknowledge, as we said earlier, you cannot change or control other people. Start with yourself, focus on your team, focus more on influence than authority. And if you want to make an organizational impact, start with an individual and a team impact. A lot of people, as I said, just start, they try to jump straight to the organization. And then this one, I, I want to be careful that this isn't, that you don't construe this one the wrong way, but some things need to clock out when you clock in. And by that, I mean negative attitudes towards another person, towards another group, negative attitude towards hazards, that condition, risk acceptance, tolerance, and it's really interesting to me a lot of times the, the risk acceptance tolerance, and this is a kind of attitude that needs to, to, to certainly clock out when you clock in is it's Saturday afternoon and I'm at home and I go out in my yard and I fire up a grass trimmer, right? Everybody usually says weed eater understand they did a great job of marketing. That is a name brand and not a tool. The tool is actually a grass trimmer. I think is the appropriate term for it or a chainsaw, right? I put on my safety glasses because culture is what drives behavior. I value the protection right now. Me, that same operator of that same chainsaw or weed eater or grass trimmer, whatever you want to call it, 
Now I'm at work and it's Tuesday afternoon. And rather than want to wear my safety glasses for the protection, for whatever reason, the culture now is, ah, uh, these things fog up and they're not comfortable and I don't look cool in So I'm not going to wear them at work. That's an example when we say some things need to clock out when you clock in. That's an example of that kind of attitude. Um, not that you truly can, but, you know, stressors in your personal life are another good example. That doesn't mean that you don't forget about them and they're not important, but it means while you're performing hazardous work, you got to be aware of that. We get in that twin model of error precursors. And then the last thing in terms of practical application of this whole concept that hazards do not discriminate is care about your team. Everybody on it and every task again. Um, and that is such a good comment. And that should be everybody's goal. Really think about that. If we didn't do anything else today, if you left here with this goal, and I'll expand it beyond the FR clothing, but go your entire career and never use never need your FR clothing, right? You're going to wear it because you value the protection. And to a certain extent, I guess, because you have to. I hope it's a whole lot more because of the want to than the have to. But make that your goal. Let's, let's go back and, and think about the hierarchy of controls here. And let's set a goal. And let's see if we can accomplish that goal. Never, ever need PPE. What a big statement. What a big goal. What a fantastic accomplishment that that would be in terms of safety. And so that would really be a good way to sum this up. I just can't stress enough. Understand in terms of normalization and deviations, hazards do not discriminate. And again, our ability to work safely depends on our ability to work together and our ability to identify and control hazards, both in terms of perception, behavior, teamwork. I said to start and I said I would say it at the end and I want to make sure I say it. Make sure we're a whole lot more standing shoulder to shoulder than nose to nose. That being said, I think it's important as we talk about fostering new ideas, not just accepting the status quo, seeking to not necessarily change, has a negative connotation with it, but to improve culture, there should be healthy debate. And maybe occasionally arguments but hopefully we debate a lot more than we argue. And then lastly, and this is so important, in safety, are we partners or are we adversaries? Because again, the hazard, and, and I hate to term, think about it in terms of a fight and we're at war with hazards, right? And so the less we work together, the more power we give to the hazards, the stronger we make it, the worse we make it, however you want to say that. As we increase our risk tolerance, the more power we give to the hazards, the stronger we make them, so to speak. But if we're at war with these hazards and we can identify them accurately and we control them as partners, hey, there you go, I like, it's okay to disagree, but be agreeable about it. That's a really good way of saying that. So I really think, and, and I'm glad that it came up, is a great concluding thing would be going back to what we just said about that goal. Never need your PPE. And in order to never need your PPE, decidedly that will require you do your part as, as an individual that's part of a system called a safety and health management system. And that that system also does everything it should for you. 
And if that happens, and then you accurately identify and use the hierarchy of controls, you really will never need your PPE. You're still going to use it. Better to have it, not need it, decidedly. So I hope that, again, if you didn't read the article, I hope you will. And maybe you want to go back and revisit it. Share it. You don't have to share the article with your team, but I do hope that you'll share the concept with your team of what we've talked about and specifically that goal of how to identify control hazards, work together, and never need our PPE. So I, I certainly appreciate your attention to both the article and today's session. And I would also like to take the opportunity as well to talk about some other things that we've got coming up. The next thing might not be the next thing, but one of the things I wanted to highlight this Friday, we host a monthly IPI Incident Prevention Institute forum. It's free, much like this. So I always jokingly kind of promise you'll get what you pay for if you don't get anything else. If you're a CUSP, you get points for it. So that's a good thing. But more importantly, what it is, is a chance for folks just like yourself to get together with folks just like everybody listening right now to talk about the challenges that you face. And so I really, I can't encourage you enough. Send us some thoughts, some comments about what you'd like to talk about. We'll bring those up. And then I, I say, we don't ever like do those in terms of the verb, we host them. And it just literally, that's all we, uh, we hope our role is just to say, hello, what do y'all want to talk about? Somebody throw something out and then everybody else start responding to it. And it truly is a foreman, uh, foreman, a forum where you can interact with each other. We have a periodic train the virtual trainer series that has just been fantastic. And I know a, a few folks looking at the names of you have been through it. And I can't tell you how much I've learned during those sessions myself, but there's an art to that. And there's an art to being a trainer and I don't really care whether it's virtual or, or in person, it doesn't matter. But decidedly circumstances in the world, I'm sure that's one of the challenges we'll talk about in the forum Friday, necessitate the need for virtual training. A lot of folks in this industry have never had any training on the how to do virtual training. So I, I hope you'll consider that one uh, because here's what I promise you, whether you realize it or not, you are a trainer. Uh, Set Solutions, we're hosting an incident analysis and investigation techniques. They did that last year. This is, uh, they're doing it again this year for us. And I'm super excited about that one. That is fantastic. Uh, decidedly, if you're formally involved in any kind of incident analysis and investigation, or if you're a safety professional, you need that class. Uh, if you're in a leadership position, you need that class. If you're a person that likes to learn from near hits, near misses and things that happen and does post job briefings, you need that class. That's a great class. And then, I don't know. Do you ever have this where, where it's almost a bad thing where you schedule a vacation? And what I mean by that is like, I've got, I schedule a vacation. What is it right now? It's March. And I schedule a vacation for like July and I'm going to this really cool place and it's going to be super exciting. To me, it's almost a bad thing because now it's like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. First week of May, the IP Utility Safety Conference and Expo. The theme for that, I think is called Rising to the Challenge. We all work in a very hazardous industry and that has a lot of challenges 
just in a normal world. In a pandemic world, we add to those challenges. So that conference, I'm telling you, I've seen part of the agenda. I, it's one of those like that vacation. I can't, may cannot get here fast enough. So I hope you'll consider that one. Uh, Frontline, this is the Frontline Fundamentals column and series of virtual training sessions that we do associated with it based on the Frontline program. If you don't know what that is, look it up. There's an online version of it. Uh, the week after next, there's a live series of webinars that complement that. Uh, the CUSP Prep and Review, OSHA Electric Power Standards, those are both um, online classes as well. So uh, the, the website, if you go to ip-institute.com, if you click enough around in there somewhere, you'll get to all those classes. So um, we still got just a little bit of time left. I'll take it and I appreciate the comments so far that we've gotten. Uh, anybody have any other thoughts or comments on what we talked about today? What maybe you'd like to see addressed in future articles or topics or conferences or forums or whatever it may be? All right, I won't go into detail about this. You, you ask a really good question and I'm gonna answer it real simple and I'll just leave it to you to think about. Maybe you can come to the forum Friday if you don't understand and we'll talk more about it. It's a fantastic question, I love it. How can you build or increase teamwork into your morning tailboards. Here's how. Lead it by only asking questions. And I, I wish I could see your faces right now because I love it when I make that statement. People, I mean, it's like, it's good to say that in the virtual environment because you can't throw something at me. But I want you to think about my response to that question. How can you build increased teamwork into your morning tailboards? And that's my answer to that is lead it by only asking questions. Now, what I'd like to do to kind of demonstrate the way that the forum Friday works to hopefully encourage you to come is now I'm going to ask everybody else that same question that Paul just asked, which is a great question. What are some things that you do to increase teamwork in your tailboards or your pre-job briefings or your J1s or whatever it is you call it, whatever organization you work for? And certainly right now, I, I, I guess I should tell you, right, is um, you'll have to put your answers in the chat window. I, li I love that thought. Have somebody different do it each day. Pass the responsibility around, not always the same person. That could be, I've seen people do it like kind of a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, a different person leads it each day. And or it's like you be PPE person and you be work zone person and you be electrical person and you be fall protection person. Uh, you know, just assign different responsibilities. That works well. Thank you for your comments there. Keep typing. Great example of what we talked about today. Together, everyone accomplishes more. For sure, any one of us might know a thing or two or have a thought about how to build or increase teamwork in your morning tailboards. All of us together know a heck of a lot about how to do that. So that's why we need forums. That's why we need discussions like this. That's why we need to do that at work. But as individuals, hopefully this gives you an even bigger perspective industry-wide of what some of this stuff um, looks like. I love having people recap it. Yep, cool. Um, yeah, I'll let you keep answering that. What other thoughts or comments does anybody have? Or what other topics would you like to see addressed in future events? 
And I have people laugh at me all the time because I can't spell. We work in the utility industry. I work for a company called Utility Business Media. And my email address has the word utility in it. And for whatever reason, I can spell the word saying it, but when I type it, I always type it wrong. So I have to be real careful that I didn't spell it wrong. Um, I put my email address in there. I welcome any questions or comments that you have, things that you want to see addressed that maybe happen, come up in the future, uh, whatever else. Ah, now we're starting to talk about the incorporation of a post-job briefing into pre-job briefings and how that can really, I'd, I'd really think about that one. Uh, thank you for that. I love that. Any other thoughts or comments? Ooh, that's a good one. Practice like you play, set up mock events. See, this is good. This gets me excited. I mean, it gets me real excited. And this is why that I, I just can't encourage everybody enough if your schedule permits. I believe that the forum is, I should really know this because we host it. I think it's at 11 o'clock this Friday in the morning. Let me confirm that before I lie to you. Uh, yeah, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I really, really hope that if your schedule and your desire permits, you can come because there's nothing I'd love more than for that forum just to start at 11 and us have a, a chat window going on and folks talking out loud and just sharing information like this. Because you, you, you may never have thought about it, but something as simple as one little line here could promote a thought in somebody that tries something on their team that literally at some point saves somebody's life. And I don't want to be like overly dramatic when I say that, but that's true. That should always be our goal is let's save somebody's life. It might not be something we directly do today. It might be through, through something indirectly that we experience, but we got to share it. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Great way to, to, to close this session. And I just, I can't thank you enough for being here today. And I can't tell you how much I look forward to seeing you all in upcoming events and sessions. So thank you again, everybody stay safe and be well. Please support our sponsors who help us to provide this valuable content to you. To learn more about how TD Power Skills can help you with their proven training solutions, go to tdpowerskills.com. TD Power Skills, creating the standard in line worker training.